Alright, welcome to the Geek Guild. This is a podcast where we talk about all things geek. And today we're going to talk about the history of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm here with one of my good friends, Ray. Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much, Lexus. Let's get into it. Alright, so the summary is Dungeons and Dragons, also commonly called D&D, is a tabletop role-playing fantasy game. It was created in 1974 by Ernest Gray Gagax and David Arneson. It was first published by Tactical Studio Rules, Gagax Company. It was required by a subsidiary of Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, in 1977. So it's been around for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, it's been a minute, and I think uh, I think it kind of all started as a. Uh, I think it got its roots not as a fantasy game, but as a uh, a war game, I guess technically. From uh, it was called Chainmail. Uh, it was kind of the very basic rules of like armored combat with like swords and stuff before it was really a fantasy. I don't think Gygax had anything to do with that. But uh, he definitely pulled, like, some DNA from there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it was actually written by Gygax and Jeff Perrin. Yeah, I don't know the other guy. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea who that is. But but thank you guys for making it. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. The first game contained 14 pages of the rules for the game. And then eventually it went to 50 pages after they teamed up with Dave Arneson and they turned it into a version called Blackmore. I was not aware of Blackmore. That sounds awesome. Yes. Blackmore drew from the Lord of the Rings universe. And in the fall of 1972, Arneson actually drove to Wisconsin to where Gygax was and ran like the campaign for him. Oh, wow. And then Gygax took those rules, like they took it from 18 pages of handwritten rules to 50, and then he tested it out in a campaign called Castle Greyhawk with his children. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I don't know. Am I, am I good to interrupt? I don't know. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> so uh, Greyhawk, I believe, is a, uh, that's a setting uh, that you can play in, like uh, Forgotten Realms or... Uh, any of the other major books that have a certain setting with their own like pantheons and stories and stuff. Greyhawk is one of those. So that that's actually really cool. I didn't know that started off as just a game for their kids and it came like became like a big thing. I didn't know that it was yeah. a realm. Yeah. No, it's it's a whole world. Yeah, it's a whole realm. It's crazy. So without being able to find someone to publish the game Gygax did it via his own company, Tactical Studio Rules. They sold 150 copies in the first month, and the game cost $10, which today is about $67.26. Goodness. And it was so hard to find copies of the game that people started pirating it, and it just grew into this whole ordeal with pirated copies of the rules. Dang, that's... Man, I mean, they were just kind of getting started, too. Yeah. That's no good. So, TSR would try to stop Gygax from creating new or competing role-playing games. They would actually, like, there was lots of lawsuits going on between them. And oh, wow. they also tried to innovate 
by creating CD-ROMs of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, so like a like an old computer game type deal? Is that what? Yeah, you're can you about? imagine that? Hmm. I don't know how they would do that. Maybe it's like a turn-based thing. So I have no idea. I'll have to look that up. I wonder if you can still get a copy of it. If you can even run it, I don't know. Like old games like that, I don't know how how you go about running those. I don't know if you'd really even want to run those, to be honest with you. <laughs> but that's cool. And in order to fund it, the TSR distributor Random House paid for them when the product arrived at the warehouse rather than when it was sold at the bookstore. And this kind of allowed them to ship oh. a lot of the products uh, with... They shipped a lot of the products and then they were able to finance it and it, it ended up leading to overprinting and TSR failing to pay. Oh, dang. Okay. And it became so substantial that the company had to sign a contract where they were only allowed to print books with them. Oh, man. So obviously the printer like increased their rates and the distributor oh, yeah. returned millions of dollars worth of product. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I feel like that was a that's that's a slight oversight somewhere along the way. A little bit. It almost completely tanked TSR and I'm sure D &D. I'm surprised that it didn't, honestly. So Wizards of the Coast, who published the game Magic the Gathering, was approached by a man named Bob Arbamotz, who was the CEO of Five Rings Publishing. He could not afford to buy TSR, so he went to Wizards of the Coast and said, hey, look, can you buy both of them? And he flew to Lake Geneva in the summer of 1997 to manage the transition from TSR to Wizards, and they actually offered jobs to a majority of the TSR staff. And, like, helped with Ooh. housing and did everything that they could. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah, they're like, you can have TSR if you also buy Five Rings Publishing. <laughs> and <laughs> Package deal, I guess. Yeah. Wow. And after, like, everything went, you know, downhill, of course, Gagax, you know, had some hurt feelings, I'm assuming. Because Atkinson wanted to smooth things over. And he would write checks to Gygax in exchange for a clean bill of health on the intellectual property. Oh. So what do you mean? Okay, so he would write him checks for, like, the IP of Dungeons & Dragons? Or... That's what I'm assuming. Just, like, so there was no bad blood since, you know, they took over. Yeah, because they bought TSR. Yeah, because that's kind of his brainchild, right? That's mm -hmm. just been, you know. Goodness. Yeah. I, 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 could see, I could see him being kind of butthurt about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I would, too. Yeah. But Gagax later went on to write an introduction to a D&D adventure, Return of the Tomb of Horrors, that was published by Wizards of the Coast. So they kind of... Oh. Like, yeah, because yeah, cause, uh, the Tomb of Horrors was an old, that's a really old dungeon, I think. And it's really well known for being, like, unnecessarily difficult, if I'm not mistaken. 
like bone crushingly difficult for no good reason. So uh, I guess so the return I guess is like a, a redux or a remaster for like I assume it would be five E if I'm not mistaken the new one. Probably, probably. That's interesting. Yeah, we won't be playing that. <laughs> we won't be playing that. With everything settled, like no bad blood, Wizards of the Coast was free to publish a new edition of D&D. And that's kind of what changed the landscape of the role-playing game drastically and turned mm -hmm. into what we know as D&D today. Oh, yeah. So let's kind of dive into the game itself. I'm going to let you talk, because this is more your area of expertise, being a dungeon master and all. Yeah. <clears throat> uh but thank you, Alexis. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give that my best shot. Uh, I've been DMing now for probably about two, two almost three years, I would say, at this point. Um, and so I, I'm still learning a lot about the game as I go. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, I have yet to learn. Uh, and it, it took me a while to learn the things that I do know. But uh, I'll kind of dive into the game. So the, the current... D&D that we know today is the the fifth edition. Uh, there's rumors of a sixth edition, uh, although I don't I don't know of any proper claims from Wizards of the Coast that that is a real thing. But we have fifth edition, uh, and it's kind of toted as one of the the easiest editions of D&D to get into, uh, just because they really streamlined it, I guess, for uh, newer players. But uh, essentially, what fifth edition D&D is is a it's a tabletop role playing game where uh, you traditionally have a group of players who are just the players, and then you have the dungeon master who uh, their role, in this case my role, is that of, uh, I guess, giving context and informing the decisions of the players through the kind of world that they inhabit, the NPCs they meet, the overarching goals of the quest that they're going on, uh, so, like, you're the story maker of the game. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that is I dictate a lot of the narrative, uh, as well as, you know, the, the fights that you guys are getting into, who you're fighting, why you're fighting them for the most part. Uh, I kind of set the initial stage for what's kind of going on in the world of your characters. Now, uh, the players, of course, will almost always mess that up in the best way possible. <laughs> um, and uh, that's... Mainly, you know, that's that's what the players do, is they, each player controls one character, right? That is their, they have, they've built one character, they have a character sheet for this person, and they play them. And they have their own motivations, they have their own abilities, you know, what have you, being, being that that's based on their class and race and whatnot. I think that's um, one of the appeals to the players, is that you can, for a while, pretend to be something that you couldn't be in real life. You could be oh, anything. Yeah, yeah uh, virtually almost anything. Because you, uh, there's a lot of freedom, especially in 5th edition, with how you can build certain classes. Because, uh, you know, you can... You know, my my first class, I was a... Uh, what was I? I was a rogue of some kind. I was a thief subclass rogue. And he was a, he was a halfling. He was like a little short uh, halfling man. 
And uh, he, he was like the super cliche, like his parents are dead, like he he knows nothing but like the cold streets, you know, he steals to make a living, but also enjoys like the adrenaline. He was like, you know, big, I guess, Batman-esque character. And then, you know, then, then you start playing some more and you get into some kooky, kind of wacky characters. And, you know, it's because you really can make almost anything you want. And that's probably because I, you know, I came from playing video games like Skyrim and other video game RPGs and I'd say kind of the biggest thing that Dungeons and Dragons has over those is that you you know because in in something like Skyrim you can like make your character you know this is their race this is kind of what they're good at their class you know is what they do but their uh their kind of position as a character within the narrative is always fixed if that makes sense you yeah. know it's like oh you are no matter what kind of, you could be an archer or whatever, doesn't matter, you're always the dragonborn, right? You're always this person in relation to the rest of the story. Whereas in D&D, it's like, you know, okay, the DM, you can work very closely with them and say, okay, here's kind of vaguely the story I want to tell without giving away too much. And, he, I, and then the player can come to the table and say, okay, here's the dude I've built. And this is kind of his backstory and his personality, his values, his virtues, and... You know, you can work with your DM and say, okay, this is kind of where I think they would fit in the story. And the player can be like, you know, uh, cool. You know, they could say that fits or they could be like, no, you know, <laughs> uh, I want to do something else. And usually if you have a good DM, they'll allow you to do and so. Also, one of the things that kind of differ from in a video game aspect is you could go down so many different storylines with your characters. It doesn't have to be the set storyline. Oh, that yeah. was laid out. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best parts. You can kind of make decisions as you go. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the decisions tend to be more on the fly and in the moment. Uh, of course, you have times where you can kind of pause and talk with your players, and you, really the sky's the limit, you know, because normally if you're playing Skyrim or some other... I don't know if I should be name-dropping that, but if you're playing some RPG, a video game... You know, it could be like, oh, you need to sneak into this mansion. And, you know, there's usually, you know, it's like, okay, you have the method where you could just literally punch your way in, right? Just guns blazing. You can run in and, like, kill everybody or, like, attack everybody. And then you have the one where it's like, okay, yeah, we can sneak in through the back. You know, we could pick this lock and be super cunning and stealthy. And then there's the other one, which is like, okay, maybe you're using, like, maybe you're talking to people. You know, you got to, like, bribe this guard to let you in. You know, there's usually, like, a couple of, like generally preset things the players you, you could do some off the wall stuff like most of the time you guys are completely blindside me with the way you attempt to solve some of these problems you know especially when you have like you had that hallway i don't know if you were here for this alexis but there was a hallway and they had to get to the door at the veranda hallway to where the king was and there were two guards and, you know, there was really no cover. It was just a narrow hallway with lights. So they stood at the door at the very end. And in conjunction with your character, Adam's character used, uh, they used some magic, like some mage hand and message. Oh, yeah, I was to... there because I have the mage hand. Yes. And for those who don't know, I'm currently in a campaign run by Ray. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we have plenty of stories that we can go into. But uh, you guys had managed to, you used you know, uh, combinations of little spells 
between the two of you to convince I think you only convinced one of the guards, but you convinced one of them that the, uh, the hallway was haunted and that they had to, like, you know, pay for their, like, sinful misdeeds. And, you know, one of them ran down the hallway. And, you know, of course, what Adam failed his, you know, his stealth check. So they f ran into Adam. They were like, what are you doing here? And then you all stepped in and somehow were able to still convince them that ghosts were there, but not only that, <laughs> that you were ghost hunters specifically sent there to deal with the ghosts, and you kept rolling really high, so I was like, yeah, they just hey, they believe you're ghost hunters, you know? And that's the kind of kooky stuff you can get into, because that's something that, you know, like a video game, you know, there are ways that maybe the developers can put in fun stuff like that, but with D&D, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles. So that kind of stuff happens literally all the time out of nowhere. And none of it's planned. Well, I mean, I guess maybe some of it's planned, but most of the kooky stuff that you guys have done and that I've seen done is not planned at all. It just happens. And yeah. uh, it's really interesting because uh, you would think that the DM is, you know, he kind of dictates literally everything. And he, he you know, I, you kind of do a little bit. Uh, it's more like... You're kind of like the overseer. Yeah, it's more like a referee, I guess, where I kind of set the initial conditions of saying, like, okay, you guys start here. There's this bad guy doing this thing, and you're in this town in this context. And then I'm like, okay, what do you do? And then all of you guys lose your mind, and you go completely insane with with the uh things that you try to do sometimes um but it's pretty interesting because a lot of times when when things happen i don't really have as much control over it uh because it's either something that one of the players like one of you guys has done and i have to i don't want to say react to it but i have to I guess, justify how the world around them would react to it, if that makes sense, yeah. um, to make it more believable. Or it is, it's off of like a, a dice roll, right? So like, you know, one of the, one of a recent happening uh, that, that occurred that was not planned at all was uh, Arya's character lost her arm. Her arm was cut off in a fight with a really scary guy. Yeah. Uh, it's a little more complicated <laughs> than that. But, uh, yeah, she got her arm cut off, and everyone was like, why? And I was like, I mean, because, you know, he he dealt, like, oh, my God, like, over half your health. He dealt, dealt you, like, 50, 51 to 56-ish damage in one hit, which was more than half your health. And then, you know, I rolled the con save, and you rolled really low, so I was like, Ugh. I mean, I did, when I came up with the idea on the spot... And this is kind of where it gets to be a slippery slope, and you need to understand whether or not yeah, you have a good DM, right? Is that when I came up with the idea of your character losing your arm, you know, that it, the thought didn't just end there. You know, I wasn't just like, oh, let's cut off her arm. I was like, okay, if I do this, I need, I need to come up with a way for her to still be able to use her bow and not be completely handicapped forever, you know? So I was so stressed out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, it was definitely something. Yeah, you have to really think on your feet and react quickly mm -hmm. being the DM. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, you really, uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to get it right sometimes, because uh, one of the first games I ever played, Alexis, you were not here for this, but uh, one of the first games I ever played, this was when I was first starting out, and I didn't know a lot of the rules. One of my players, you know, they had to cross, like they were going through a cave and had this huge pit, right, huge pit, and they were having to shimmy across. Uh, I believe actually two of them failed uh, a check to, like a dexterity check to make it across. And they slip and they fall into the hole. And they're like, okay, you know, how deep is the hole? That's like the, the next reasonable thing to ask, I would think. And at the time I was like, I mean, I don't know what a good distance is. I didn't really know anything about fall damage. So I was like, I think it's, like, it's about 90 feet. And my player, TJ at the time, oh, no. he looks at me. His eyes go completely wide. He's like, you said 90? And I was like, uh, should I change it? And he was like, I mean, it's already been said. Like, I mean, it's okay. And they, they, keep in mind, these guys were like maybe level two. Maybe. So they had pff, 20 max hit points. Um, and so, oh, you no. know, the way the rules go is that it's, uh, I believe... A D10 of uh, damage. Yeah, I believe it's a D10 damage for every... Or is it a D6? No, I think it's a D6 for every 10 feet. But, um... Yeah, so it's a D, D6 for every 10 feet. And they fell 90 feet, so that... I, I can't even tell you how much damage that actually did. To be honest with you, a little uh, more than those twenty hit points. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little more, a little more. Uh, but the main thing is that if you're if you're reduced to zero hit points, you know you're knocked unconscious, right? You're not immediately killed, um, and so you have to make what are called death saving throws, which is essentially uh, your character's unconscious, so they can't actively do anything, um, and you're rolling to determine whether or not your character naturally lives or dies from whatever wounds that they sustained, right? So if you roll, if you fail three of them, your character's dead. They are just dead. If you fail, or sorry, if you succeed three of them, you come back up to one hit point and you are now conscious, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how that works. If you take enough damage that is, I don't know if this is a house rule at the time. I think this is, I think this is in the uh, the books, the official books, if I'm not mistaken. But if you take over twice your HP in damage in at one single time, that's, you, that's you it. just die. Yeah, you just die. There are no saving throws, which, I mean, I probably dealt 60 to 80 points of damage at any one time. And, of course, you know, this player, he lands, he's dead. He is gone. Uh, I think uh, the other player is Adam's character. He survived because he was a fighter, so he had, like, really high HP. Uh, the other character was, like, a bard. So he had probably less than 20 hit points, <laughs> to oh, be goodness. honest with you. So, yeah, no, he, uh, no, he's dead. He, I mean, of course, you know, we, we next session we made him a character and fit him in, and I promised that I wouldn't do that to him ever again, so... But, uh, yeah, no, that's, you know, you got to be careful because uh, there are some DMs that I would, I, I, I'd hope there weren't, aren't many like this, but there are some that just kind of want your players to suffer a little bit, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. You know, because like last session, you because there's a difference between wanting to put, you know, like wanting to put some fear into your players and just bullying them, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, you gotta have because, like a balance. Yeah. Because, and this is, all right, you know, this is kind of the big, this is the golden rule, right? This is a gift that was given to me by, I guess, everyone in the community. There's no real one person. But the golden rule is that the, the whole point of Dungeons & Dragons is to have fun. There's, there's no, that is top priority. Because there's a lot of discourse between, you know, there's people who believe the game should be played a very certain way, and they see that as kind of the correct way to play the game. And other people, of course, you know, they play differently. I think and... the first game that I played at, like, 16 years old, there wasn't really rules that they went by. It was just kind of like a free-for-all. Yeah, and, and I that's... Think... I think mm -hmm. having some of the rules really helps enhance the gameplay. It does. It does. And of course, you know, I'm I'm kind of of that opinion, right? Cuz I've been in a game before too with a DM who frankly, I won't name any names, but uh, he did not really read the rule books and, you know, not, you know, I guess because he just didn't really think he needed to and not that it was a horrible experience but it would have been nice to have some structure because a, a lot of what's nice about the very basic and foundational structures of D&D is that it gives uh it gives importance and meaning to certain things right so like when you're in combat if there's really no chance or no risk of your character dying or losing something important then all of the you know the the tenseness all of the uh what's the word i'm looking for um the thrill the thrill and the importance of the event is is just evaporated it's just stripped from it entirely and it doesn't matter um especially when and especially if you're fighting creatures that don't really obey rules of combat they can just kind of do whatever they want and especially if there's no like if there's no chance for your character to be able to save or like resist it, if it just happens to them, that's kind of invalidating, you know, because it's like, oh well, I, you know, I guess it doesn't matter, you know, your suspension of disbelief is just shattered, you know, because instead of getting immersed into the game and feeling like you're this character, if there's not enough rules, then it's like, okay, well then this is literally just pretend. We are literally just doing kind of nothing. Um, but I also think, you know, it, there's something to be said about something with too much rules. You know, if you have, if the game is hyper comp complicated, right, and you have all of these different house rules for combat, and you have, like, all of these very niche and specific rulings for how certain things work in combat, it's going to bog it down tremendously to the point where, you know, either combat or even sometimes exploration just takes forever, and there's all of these unnecessary uh, kind of hoops you have to jump through. Yeah, and then it just kind of loses its thrill and the suspense of the game. Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, because there's something to be said for both of those, but, you know, for sure the big thing is that, like, fun is what is meant to be had, you know, and, and really what that translates to for me is I like to have a happy medium of, like, I think having certain rules is really good, because, like I said, you know, it gives 
you know, consequences and meaning to things, right? If there's a if there's a chance of you losing something, either whether it be your character's life, <laughs> or you know, something or someone who is important to your character, or maybe they lose and the world ends. You know, that's just just a narrative thing, right? That should have some weight to it. Oh yeah, like and some of rules... my favorite mm -hmm. sessions playing uh, your campaign is like last night. You know, I went into combat, I lost my arm, and like the suspense and like what's gonna happen now? How am I gonna keep going? Those are like the mm -hmm. best kinds of sessions because there's so much life to the story. It's not just rules being thrown out or, you know, mm -hmm. there's no hope. It's like, what can I do to make this situation better? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I talk a lot about combat. Like, I want to hype on for a second that uh, combat is not everything. Um, I know I'm kind of loosey-goosey with how I'm discussing all these rules. I'm very, I'm bouncing between a lot of stuff, so I apologize for other people listening. But this is how my brain works. Uh, when it comes to the basics of the game, uh, there's really three pillars from what I've been able to understand. And that is primarily combat. There is exploration, and then there's kind of the social aspect of the game. And so what that translates to is that you have combat, which is the very, it's very mechanically based, right? You have, it's turn-based, you know, people go on in a certain order depending on how they rolled. You have mechanics of like you have one action and you have one bonus action and you have one reaction and you can do these sets of things with what you have. You know, you can use these certain spells, you can't use these ones because of circumstances, you know, it's you know, you have movement of your character, you have all kinds of things. That's the kind of the war game aspect of D&D. And then you have the exploration. And so that is more so where it's like, this is a big part of what uh, a lot of people have kind of seen about D&D is where you're all kind of sitting there and it's a, uh, the ter technical term for it is called theater of the mind where you're, where the DM typically is describing the scene and the happenings that are going on in the scene, right? You know, you're in this town. This is what it looks like. This is the time of day. You see, you know, this particular character doing this thing over here. You know, oh, maybe they're doing something shady. You know, you go and investigate and, you know, you find out they're doing this thing. You know, you know, it's like illegal and like the, you know, police are looking forward or whatever. You know, it's, it's, that's how you build the narrative, right? Which is, you know, that's it's how a book does it, right? You're, yeah. Uh, you're using the imagination, the mind's eye. There is a word for it that is not coming to my mind. Uh, you're basically hmm. telling the story, narrating. Yeah, you know, yeah the you're story. narrating and you're telling the story. And then, of course, you know, you, you lay it out to the players. You say, this is where you are. This is what's happening. Uh, what do you do? And then the players, you know, and, and that could be kind of intimidating sometimes because you're like, man, I mean, this should, I mean, because in video games, it's like, okay, it makes sense that I'll go attack this thing, you know, because it, it's kind of directed most of the time. But in D&D, &D, it's like, man, I can, you know, what do I do? <laughs> like, me personally in this situation, I don't know. Um, that's one of the things I struggle most with. Is... And that's, and I try, you know, because it's, it's hard to know what to do sometimes. So, and, and that's why I try to nudge you guys a little bit to say, you know, oh, there's like a thing over here. Like, oh, this like thing came out of nowhere. You want to go look at that? And then sometimes, like, someone like Adam, they're like, no, I want to go do this. And I'm like, oh, man, you you sure? 
sure you don't want to do what I thought you were going to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't know. But, uh, so that's, yeah, combat, and then now it's exploration. Then you have the social aspect of uh, Dungeons & Dragons, which is uh, the, that's the dialogue. Uh, this is typically where the DM is assuming the role directly of, typically it's one character. It can be multiple. Uh, that can be a little confusing sometimes, though, so... Uh, but usually they're they're talking to the players as this character, and the players are talking back to that character as their own character. So if that makes sense. They're engaging in role playing dialogue, and uh, this one is pretty interesting because there's a lot of nuance to. I mean, really, just any sort of social etiquette that you can inject into this game. You know, I mean, not every NPC you meet is going to be telling the truth. I mean, there are NPCs that lie to you or withhold information, you know, uh, or deceive you in some way. There are some that um, maybe they give you wrong information, that they don't know what's going on, and they give you some information that's not entirely accurate by no fault of their own. Uh, or it could be that... They try to, like, antagonize you. Yeah, yeah, or intimidate you or, you know, like, like, like strong-arm you or blackmail you. Or it could be the other way around. It could be that you need information. So you, you know, maybe you decide, okay, we're going to blackmail this guy. Or we're going to steal something of his and we need to find out the location. So we're going to engage in, like, conversation. So in the, it really it's an information game, if that makes sense. And there's a lot that can be done that's not really set in stone. And so that's another... That one and exploration are probably some of the most freeing aspects of D&D, but they can be some of the hardest ones to get into just oh, yeah. because of how open-ended they can be. You know, combat, you know, a lot of people get that, especially because a lot of people have played video games or at least other board games and stuff. So, like, the rules, it, like, it makes sense. You have those constraints. You can do this. You can't do that, you know. I mean, there's plenty of room for creativity in there as it is, but... Uh, you know, there's more constraints to it. When it comes to what what you want to say to this guy, or what do you want to do when exploring this room, you know, that's that's a much more open-ended question. Um, you have to really when... immerse yourself into your character and become your character. Yeah, and and for a lot of newer players, that's a hard thing to do because you're kind of uncomfortable. You know, maybe you haven't really met these people before you're playing with, so you know, how comfortable are you really with? you know, giving your character, like, a, a gruff voice or, you know, giving them, like, a, you know, maybe they have a certain t cadence to their talk or, you know, you know even just the, the slightest act of role-playing as someone who is not yourself might feel awkward around these people, which is totally normal. Like, it you know, took, it, it you took yeah. me a few sessions to be able to feel comfortable enough role-playing it was a little bit intimidating. It is intimidating. That's why, uh, you know, you really got to kind of gauge the waters with your with a new group that you're getting into it with because, you know, you know there are some that you know are it, it. Everyone plays the game differently. Every table is different, you know, and and a big part of that is like, uh, you know, there are some. I always try if every time I've added someone, like it's, the last person was Sarah. Every time I've added someone to our table, I've always asked them like, okay, what are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? Because, you know, that's that's an important thing to me. Is that like you know, I don't want people to be, 
you know, saying, you know, for example, I wouldn't want someone who is like very blatantly racist at my table, right? Just because I think that's tasteless and it makes people feel weird when they're doing that. Or like someone who's like, like overly sexual th with things, you know, I, I, you know, it's not my favorite thing. And, you know, thankfully, knowing that the table does that. Um, so it's a very, very friendly and inclusive place, I think. I don't, you know, there's really no uh, bad blood. I don't really think anyone makes each other uncomfortable. Uh, but, you know, if you get into a new campaign with a new group of people and, you know, they are being kind of like, you know, really racist or really sexist, you know, that can make you feel really uncomfortable. And really um, take away from the enjoyment yeah. of the game. Yeah, because, I mean, you, I mean the, you, there's no way to be immersed after that because you're you know it just takes you out immediately it's the only thing you can focus on so you know definitely you know definitely kind of test the waters with your group you know and if it's not working you know i mean you know you'd always try another one um but most people i think the you know the overall community of dungeons and dragons is very uh accommodating i guess is the word and friendly um they they love getting new people they love encouraging you know new things it's a very good community. Uh, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, I don't. I can't tell you why this is. I mean, I'm totally down for it. But uh, there is a very large part of the community that is uh, very much intertwined with like LGBTQ community. Um, I d I don't know. I don't know really know why the connection happens or why and it's there. But I mean, it's probably cool. because with Dungeons and Dragons, you're encouraged to like yourself and not care what anyone thinks so that oh, probably yeah, has like something unapologetically. to do with it yeah unapologetically that you mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah because that way because it really it is an escape you know because you go through your, your work week and you know you're like stressed out like stupid stuff is happening at work and you know it, it's a whole thing life is a lot and it gets rough and then knowing that like oh man it's friday like I get to be this character today and I get to do these types of things. It's really cool, you know, cause you know, like I said, um, kind of get really to take off be... the mask that society. Yeah, puts absolutely. On for you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Is there anything you wanted to add, uh, before I know I've been going on for a while. No, you're everyone's fine. probably tired of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> No, I thought it was, you know, important to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what Dungeons & Dragons is. Because there's a lot of stereotypes around it, around Dungeons & Dragons. Um, mm -hmm. My favorite being, have you heard that a lot of parents think that it's like some sort of satanic paganism oh, yeah. type thing? Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I, 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 it's probably, I don't think it's as quite as prevalent as it was back in like the 70s and 80s because it was like new back then i mean it's still definitely prevalent like you know you there's there's still definitely people that you can talk to who are like ooh, that's kind of you know that's like some devil stuff um i don't know if you remember but uh someone from our old workplace came over to watch a game and her mom was so nervous it was like don't get into any of like praying mm. to the devil or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, it, it's it's a whole thing. Uh, it's it's a whole thing, but in terms of you know, and it's it's kind of interesting because 
uh, I, don't, I, I think my mom might have said something vaguely, vaguely similar to, you know, is it kind of a, a devil game? And of course, at the time, I was like, oh, no, it's, it's not. And then in the back of my head, I knew that my, you know, players were actively fighting a cult of devils. So, I mean, that was kind of a, that's just happenstance, you know, that's, that's just how that goes. Um, but yeah, uh, is there anything else, uh, you wanted to add? Uh, I know that it's, I've, I've been going for a while here. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. You seem so naturally good at this. I, I mean, I, I just, I just be talking. I guess that's just what it is. Uh, but yeah, what else am I missing? Uh, let me see. Um, talked a lot about the basics of D&D. &D. What else have I not talked about? Because there, there's a lot, you know, when it comes to... Um, I guess I'll get into how I got into it. Uh, yeah, let's talk about sense. our origin stories with Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. Yeah, I mean, so... I guess I, I, I did play Dungeons & Dragons like... Oh, man, I must have been... Uh, 16... 15 maybe you know i was i was a teenager and you know uh, it was my neighbor uh uh who i won't disclose their name but uh they were like hey you know do you want to do you want to try this and i was like yeah cool because at the time i was playing oblivion you know video game rpg so i was like yeah this is like right up my alley and uh we sit down we play and i i have no earthly idea what this man is telling me he's like he gave me like the character sheet and i was like what what is this like how i mean he's like oh it's, yeah you make your character and i was like uh okay and like he you know he walked me through um at the time uh how to like you know what races to pick and like what what, what were good spells and what classes did um by the way if uh if my neighbor is watching this in the future somehow uh they are now a she so i guess i'll refer to the machine now uh, but no, she will at the time she, uh, was very understanding, uh, with what that we didn't know what we were doing at all. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, that character that I made was also a rogue. I guess I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is with rogues, but I, I they always seem to find me if that makes sense. But, uh, and at the time we played a little bit, but we never really got super into it. You know, we, uh, we played like a couple times and then, you know, we, we kind of stopped hanging out and that was that. But then back after, uh, this was after high school. This was in, trying to think. I was working at Food Lion at the time. And I was, this was like two years ago. We were hanging out with, uh, I can't remember exactly how all of this started. But our friend Tyler was like, hey, you know, do you want to, do you want to play some D&D? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we started playing it. And... You know, because at the time I was just a player. I didn't really have anything to lose. I didn't have to plan anything like the DM did. You know, I was like, I'll just be along for the ride. And then, man, it was, it's all history from there. I got so <laughs> into it. Um, and then eventually, you know, because, I mean, I, I hyper fixated. And I, like, read so many of the books. And, like, I was looking up all kinds of things. And I, I was learning everything I could. And then eventually, you know, after that the campaign with our friend kind of uh, ended, I was like, you know, I talked to, you know, my brothers and some of my other friends. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, I might just want to try this, you know, try DMing. And they were like, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways 
you can go about it. There's basically two. There's two main ways. It's either you do a, uh, I believe they're called modules. It's, it's a book. It's a pre-written adventure, if that makes sense. It has, you know, all of the narrative context you need. It has, like, the story, the characters. It has, you know, the maps of where they're going. It has uh, lore. It has all of the monsters and their stat blocks and where they're going to be when they're fighting them. It kind of has everything you really need, like, information-wise to make it happen, right? Um, I didn't do that because I'm insane. Uh, so I... <laughs> I went with the homebrew method where I, I was like, I'm going to just make everything up. And I did. Um, honestly, because I've, I've heard a lot of people say that the, the modules are good for uh, if, you don't, if you're not – if you can't get the creative juices flowing and you don't really know where to start, you know, it kind of like gives you the like story. A, like yeah, a script yeah. to be able to follow. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it's – uh, and that's a really good place to start. Uh, I would say one slippery slope with modules uh, is that you, you kind of have this this urge to follow the story as closely as you can because you don't want to deviate too far because then you're going kind of outside your comfort zone, if that makes sense. And you're like, oh, man, they they were supposed to do this, but they did this instead. So how does – like what happens now, right? And at that point, you just kind of have to trust yourself to make a decision and just be like, I think this would happen. Um, and then trying to figure out how that plays out from that point. Uh, everybody, everyone I know now who is more confident with the game, like, you know, on my Monday game is uh, loosely based on a module. And he says every time he runs that module, it's different every single time because, you know, it's, it's good to have like a, a kind of a skeleton and then you you know layer on things of your own making if that makes sense. Uh, but I I went with the homebrew style, so I made up. This is, <laughs> I guess one word is exhausting. Uh, it, it's because I didn't really know, you know, because I, I sat down on my computer and I was like, how do I even like begin this right? Like where do I even start? So I just I did what made sense to me which was I thought of like school. And so I was like, okay, I guess a, a Google Doc is where I'll start. And uh, I mean, I feel a little embarrassed to say that I, I still, everything is on Google Docs at this point, but it's free. I don't care. I, like, you sue me. I don't know. But at this point, if I was it works, just like, it works. if it works, it works, I guess. So I was, you know, I, was, I, I started just typing. So, and I, I, really what it is when you're first starting, you just got to kind of figure out a system that works for you. And it's different for everybody. The way that I did it, which may be, you know, completely not how it's going to work for other people, is I made several separate Google Docs. Uh, I think I started off with just three. Um, this is from when I was playing my Valenheim campaign, uh, which you were not a part of. Um, but I started off with a story page or i guess a narrative page um and then i had a characters page and then i had a lore page so what basically what this did for me was i could take all of the separate you know i, I guess mountains of information and just store them somewhere so for the story you know that's the narrative that the characters are following specifically you know, this is the characters that are being introduced during the story. You know, this is more of the, it really is like a, a book type deal, right? Where I, I, 
I typically would just do like bullet points, which, you know, looking at my notes, it look, it's, it's not pretty. Like it's, it's not, it's disorganized. It's half of these sentences aren't even finished. They have like no punctuation just cause I'm typing out and just going, but, uh, it's not a pretty site, but it gets, it gets the job done and it tells me kind of, you know, the general flow of the story as presented. Right. And then you have the characters page, which has just so that like, cause I'm in my campaigns, I introduce so many characters that, you know, like I just got to keep track of all of them. And and I'm going to be honest with you. My character page for the current campaign I have is so like, I I, I cannot tell you there's so many characters on there. It's really bad. Like over half of them have no idea who they are. Uh, Well, at glance, you know, of course, I, I wrote down their information of, like, what they were doing in the story. But if, if you were like, hey, what did this person do? I probably couldn't tell you. I'm going to be honest with you. I would have no idea because there's just so many of them. So it's just for kind of keeping that straight. And then I have the uh, see what story and then lore. And the lore is probably the biggest one because... That one's that one was really hard to tackle because you're like, okay, let me plan the history of this whole world real quick, you know? Just and real quick. Yeah, just real quick. Let me bang this out in like two or three hours. But uh, and that and and that's where you get you can get really interesting with it because you you can say like, oh, there is some crazy war that happened like three thousand years ago, and like, you know, and and I, I could I could go on for ages about what my lore is like and. It just basically gives you the all of the background, like tidbits and information, like the meat. that the meat of of you know something that's not maybe not necessarily you know completely integral to the narrative that your characters are following, but it's useful for justifying or giving context to other things during the story, right? Where it's like, you know, okay, maybe they're fighting a a group of like cultists who worship a a murder God. Okay. Now I have to justify and be like, okay, Oh crap. Like what is, what's the Pantheon? Like I have to have a murder God. What are all the other gods doing? Like what, what's, what does that look like? So you have to make a Pantheon or you have to adopt one from some other world. And then you're like, okay, this is okay. That's, that's what they do. And then you're like, okay. uh, Oh, now they're fighting a demon cult. Okay. What what kind of demons am I using? <laughs> and you're like, okay, but now you, then you go past that, and you're like, okay, well now what's the overall cosmology, right? Like, is it, you know, we have like the earth, and then below that is hell, and above that is some like heaven like domain, or is it like traditional D and D where it's like a a spoked wheel of like oh, like twenty one or twenty three different planes of existence? They're all layered differently. Like it's I, the best thing I can describe it as is an infinite uh, abyss of a rabbit hole. Uh, you just you fall down and you writing book dude, reports. It is I, I I'm telling you right now. Sometimes I'll be up late at night and I'm spiraling internally. Just I mean it, I'm really describing it as it sounds bad, but it's it's really fun. <laughs> sometimes it's fun to spiral, um, but you know you start building up the whole lore of your world, you know, these, it's just the, the really big information that would be important later. Right. Um, and it could even be information that's maybe not important later. You know, it's like, you know, I've given names to all of the ancient leaders of like 
you know, the, the civilizations that used to exist, but some of them don't exist. And so they're probably, those leaders probably are never going to come up in the story ever. But if I ever wanted like a little tidbit of like in internal consistency with my world, you know, I have it right. You know, um, and that's kind of how I go about that. I've also, I've, I've added on in some other ways and how I run the combat and stuff, but that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, I guess, uh, what else I would say is, uh, you gotta be careful when planning just because you can, and I'm sure that you've experienced something like this, Alexis, where you're, you, you are being creative and you're making something and then you start focusing way too much on like certain details to the point where like you're coming up with the most granular details that no one is ever going to notice. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you have to tell yourself like, I need to like zoom out real quick. Cause this is a pointless thing to be you're becoming too engrossed. In yeah. The work dude, it's, that you're it is so easy. It is so easy to do that where, you know, cause like, there'll be times where I'm like, I'm thinking about this whole continent and like, I'll spend like an hour or two on like one settlement, like one little tiny settlement on this part of the map. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm adding all these kooky, crazy characters in this narrative. And then I'm like, Oh man, I have the rest of the world to populate. So, you know, and that's, that's another thing is that, uh, you know, the map that I made, uh, not every, I, I don't have a plan for everything. I feel like a lot of people, they look at the DM and they're like, oh, I mean, like that's really intimidating because you kind of have to have like a game plan for everything, you know? And like you have to have like an idea of what you could do for every possible outcome that your players do, right? Um, and I'm gonna tell you right now, Alexis, I do not do that. <laughs> that's, that's too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> because I can't. I will actually go insane if I try to do that. Uh, but a lot of it is... Uh, I mean, a lot of it's improvisation. I think that makes sense. Um, which uh, also key thing, uh, there's a lot of improv on the player's part as well. Because I put you guys on the spot all the time. And I'm like, hey, this is happening. What do you do? And you're like, uh, um, I, I do this. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, but yeah, no, the storyline is constantly changing. It's constantly changing. And like, here's another thing is that uh, I don't claim to be a good writer i don't uh so in terms of like whether or not i'm happy if the story that i made doesn't have like at least a like gigantic holes in it you know at least it's consistent and is you know maybe at least halfway sensible right i'm okay with that if i can get that i'm good it doesn't need to be a masterpiece because you know i'm not a writer and that's, you know, maybe you shouldn't be too hard on yourself if you're like, oh, my story's not good enough. Because, again, like I said, golden rule, if they're having fun, that's all that matters. You know, it doesn't need to be, it could be like the most simple story, you know, because sometimes those are the most fun. Where you're like, hey, there's a, a giant witch king and you're some good guys, go kill them. And you're like, all right. Sometimes, I, you know, and I would even, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Alexis. I would say sometimes the simpler stories like are almost always more fun just cause you're like having a, a sensible goal of like you, like that dude murder him. Like if you give me that as a player, I'm like, got it. I'm yeah, on the way. Then there's no pressure to like think on your feet, 
especially if you're uncomfortable doing something like that or it's your first yeah. time. If, if it's your first time, go simple, 100%. Don't, you know, like, you don't even need to think too much about it. Like, you know, get like the very basic, like big details, right? Of like, okay, you probably need some kind of map. It doesn't need to look good or be interesting or be even physically possible. Uh, but, you know, have like some map, have like, okay, here's like, a, a kingdom, here's like this big city, here's like a couple of small hamlets, you know, because, and, and, you know, it, it really is, because uh, becoming a DM, it really, you know, you, you just got to find what you're comfortable with, because honestly, if I, ha if I could go back and redo the beginning of our campaign, I think I would. Honestly, and, and the reason why I say that is because I think I would make it a more self-contained narrative because I made this gigantic map, which I am proud of. I physically it's made it. It's an amazing map. Yeah, thank you. It took it was grueling <laughs> making that. But, um, you know, it's a big map and it has all kinds of stuff going on. And you're like, oh, man, there's like it's so big. And, uh, you know, because now I'm at the point where and it's not that big of a deal, really. Uh, but, you know, you're doing a lot of, like, bouncing around the, the whole continent, right? You know, because you're, of course, like, I made the map and I'm like, I, wanna, I want them to see everything, you know? So, you know, that's what you're doing. Uh, but sometimes having, like, maybe you don't need a whole continent. Maybe you're just like, you just need, like, this particular kingdom of this continent. And you just have that, right? It's like, okay, everything else outside of this doesn't really matter because it's just like this and it's like here's some of the surrounding areas and like sometimes that's almost better because when you start getting really i guess global with it and you're like oh man i'm gonna have like it's gonna be this huge political thing like all these different nation states and there's gonna be like a huge like continental war and there's going to be all these different cities and all these different places you go. Like you're like spanning this whole nation. You're really, you can spread yourself really thin. And it could be that, you know, you're introducing a lot of characters that, you know, and that's, that's one th regret I'm having with my campaign right now is that I've introduced so many characters that I, I can't keep track of all of them, you know, even with like my Google doc, Half of them, I don't even remember what they did or what their importance was unless I read it, you know, uh, which is kind of nice because then I can pull them in and be like, oh, hey, here's this character. But then, you know, you, I don't know how many of those characters are you guys even going to remember because I'll be like, oh, this guy's back. And you're like, who? So I don't know. It's uh, it's a big thing. I would definitely want to go back and do it over again so I could make it a little more self-contained. So that that way, you know, maybe you're bouncing between kind of the same several settlements and seeing, you know, kind of the same people over and over again. Because then I can be evil and be like, hey, remember that guy you just saw? Yeah, he's dead. Or like, he's a zombie, <laughs> you know, or like his all his family home is in ashes and he's missing. Uh, that's another thing that I, I tend to be doing. Uh, I guess I feel like at this point I play myself off like when sarah first came in i was like you know oh yeah I'm, I'm a really laid back dm you know i'm like we just have a good time and then she she gets pulled into this like dystopian like like depressing like oh everyone's dying like all your f loved ones are like stolen and like their minds are not their own and 
there's zombies everywhere and that's it the world is dark and grim and awful you know and then i'm like oh and and your pet dog is dead you know it's like <laughs> it just really, to add a little salt just to, to the add wound. a little bit you know because and that's you know that's kind of the cheap way to get your players to care right where it's like oh man like ari you have a, a beautiful like forest home that you grew up in after you like left your abusive household and this is where you kind of found yourself oh and it, i burned it down it's it's all gone everything there's dead it's gone it's gone and you were just like oh awesome i'm pissed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I definitely think that the dm is the core of the game the first uh campaign that i played in high school very long time ago like 10 years um the dm read from a book but at the same time there was like no rules it was just super chaotic and it mm -hmm. you know the next week when we would go back we'd be like okay where do we leave off he, uh, wherever you want and that really took away from my enjoyment of the game because i felt like there was no structure mm -hmm. so the fact that you put so much effort and structure into it i really enjoy and that's, you know, and I guess that means that we're just kind of similar in that way because I, I also appreciate that structure for when – because if you're in a situation, you're playing a game, and there's not much structure, you know, because in your case, for example, he said, like, we can kind of leave off, like, wherever you want. Or, like, he makes it a far more collaborative thing. That can lead to feelings of, like, okay, this doesn't really matter anymore because we can kind of retcon or do whatever we need to do, right? You know, it's like, I guess it's kind of like the comic book trope where it's like none of the characters ever stay dead. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, Batman's dead. And then you're like, like two sets, like, you know, comics later, it's like, oh, he's back. And you're like, okay, I mean, I just, then why'd he die in the first place? You know, exactly, that. exactly. Mm -hmm. So like, in, if he was running your campaign where he accidentally let someone fall 90 feet in a well, he'd be like, oh, never mind, let me change that instead of, you know, letting the character die, which really takes away from the suspense of the game. Yeah. Because if I, you can just I, bend I, the rules, what's the point, you know? Yeah, and, I, you know, I believe in bending the rules a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't want the game to be cruel, you know? Well, uh, no. You know, because, like, for example, in that instance where he fell down that 90 pit, I felt bad because that was my fault because I misunderstood the rules. And I was the one who was willing to change it, but he was the one who said, like, actually, you know what, uh, it's totally fine. Like, I, he, I think at the time he said he kind of wanted to make a new character anyways. Um, and, like, when things like that happen, like, oh, let's say there have been times where, like, I forget to add, like, an NPC to the initiative. Because I just forget they're there, and there's just already so many people to add. Um, instead of me, like, you know, having to, like, rewind the whole combat to, like, get him in i'll just be like okay we'll run this round without them and then on their next what was supposed to be their turn i'll give them two turns basically you know it, it, it kind of you could be a little loosey-goosey with it occasionally and like no one's really gonna care i don't think because it's at the end of the day it's like we're just having fun but you also don't want to get to the point where it's like you know th there's it's so loose that there's no 
threat of you dying or losing anything because then you're like well then why am i even here you know what because the whole point of like being this hero or this person this adventurer is to have a goal you know like a heroic goal of some kind and then meeting like intense opposition and then overcoming it yeah and getting to what you need and and you know the parts that make a narrative interesting are like sometimes like you do lose you know, sometimes you, or maybe you do win, but like, you know, at a hefty cost. Like and an so arm. it makes you think, you know, like an arm or like maybe a, a, an actual shit ton of other families that get evaporated. Um, you know, and that's, and that's what makes it so interesting, you know, because, and you could always spice it up, you know, because, you know, you could have a campaign that's just, you go to this town, they have this problem, you kill this monster, you leave. You know, you go to the next town, it's the same thing, but a different monster. And, like, you kill them and you leave. Or, like, you go to this town and then there's two of that monster. You know, and it's kind of, you can make it a little too video gamey, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why being able to go in and, you know, especially when, because the main thing I think of that I've done is uh, when you guys were fighting that flesh golem in... Uh, I believe it was Runeview Village. And uh, when you guys killed it, and it was basically going into that kind of explosive mode where it had like an emergency detonation of a magical spell. Um, in that situation, you know, I, I made you guys a little powerless, you know, where it's like there's not like it's going to explode and there's not a whole lot you can do. Um and to some extent, I, I was really considering not doing that because I was like, I don't want to put them in a situation where it feels like they were like literally powerless and they couldn't do anything. But I was also interested to put it in because I was like, I'm interested to see what they will try to do in a situation that seems unwinnable, uh, if that makes sense. You know, not that it was unwinnable, but that, you know there were going to be casualties anyways, if that makes sense. Because well, how did you feel about that whole situation? The flesh golem? I, I think, I don't know if you were there for that. It was when you were in a, you were trying to free the, oh, I don't know if you were there for that fight. They were trying to free the uh, dwarven town from that curse, and they had to kill the flesh golem to lift it, but then it, like, exploded and incinerated, like, half of the village. I don't know if you were there for that, actually. I don't think for that one. Dang, that was a crazy one. <laughs> but, uh, nah, you should have been there. Because that was, uh, I, it was pretty interesting because if there's all these little moments. Like, Adam, um, uh, he was getting attacked by the golem and it, like, it missed him. He dodged it, but it, it, like, plowed through a building and he got pinned underneath the debris. So he was, like, prone on the ground and he couldn't move. And, you know, I think Cliff came in and, like, killed it basically but uh it was like reforming to some extent and the runes on its body were glowing faster and it was like gonna explode and so adam his whole idea was that like i i, I drew this huge radius of like okay it's gonna blow up and basically kill everything in here if you're not careful and you know i mean a lot of you guys i think adam controlled your character and was like ari's getting the fuck out of there like and i think uh Talisi, like, you know, some of the characters. Osmar, he dipped out too. And then Adam, when it came to his turn, because he was pinned, he decided to use Eldritch Blast. And, he, and his Eldritch Blast has a 10-foot knockback. 
So he was his whole goal was to just hit this thing over and over again to try and push it as far away from you know the party as possible so they had like time to get out of the radius if that makes sense mm-hmm. which is a really good idea um and it worked like you know they were all you guys were all able to get out um but he didn't really realize at the time but he was pushing it for deeper and deeper into like the residential houses of the town where everyone was hiding Oh, no. um, and so when it detonated, like it, it killed oh, a lot. At least nine to eleven families were in, immediately incinerated, because um, it left like a big like crater where it was supposed to be. It was a whole thing, and like of course, you know, like uh, you know, they held like a really somber like everyone in the town was basically kind of crowded around the ancestral like graveyard, and uh, they had. Um, uh, the the leader of the town, who was kind of like a a cousin to uh, Cliff's character, you know, he was very like I, I tried to role play it that he was like actually devastated, but that he was trying to hold it back so that he could express that he was grateful that they were helping them. Like he he was gonna give them a lot of uh like gold, like he, he was gonna give you guys a shit ton of gold, and I think platinum too. And every single member of the party declined the gold. They did not take it because they felt remorseful. They felt bad. Um, and it was a really like depressing thing. Cause like they beat the golem. But then when I told them, like when it blew up and killed everybody, like everyone was kind of silent for a little bit and just kind of looking down. And I was like, Oh God, like, is this the vibe I wanted? <laughs> is it, did I, I mean don't to know. Do this? Did I mean to, should I have done that? But uh, they seemed to all like it because they, they were like, you know, it kind of further drives your character, you know, because a- Adam's character especially, like, he was kind of pissed. He was like, I'm, I'm going to make sure this shit never happens again, ever. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, he, he got intense. Like, I was kind of sitting back in my chair. Like, I, I wish I could do justice to, like, because he, he lost his, like, his spell book thing in, uh, in the explosion. And he spent most of the night, like trying to reconstitute it and get a new one because he can do that and when he was talking to the dwarven gentleman you know he was he was speaking with a lot of passion he was like you know i'm gonna go here and i'm gonna gonna, we freed this curse and we're gonna go free uh mount dimbane as well and then he like summoned it out of thin air for like emphasis and i was like oh my god like that's intense but yeah you get really passionate about the oh yeah character you're playing because it becomes an extension of you absolutely yeah yeah i mean what's been your experience playing ari so far at first i was really nervous because like i said my my previous experience wasn't that great and Mm -hmm. so coming into this new character i had to really kind of find a personality that worked for a halfling ranger Mm mm-hmm and I kind of drew from my own personal personality to give to her. Yeah, I was like, if, if I could be, you know, a real ranger, what could I do? And yeah, I feel like that's the natural place to start, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I drew from that, and then 
at the first couple sessions, I kind of played around with different like voices or personalities to see what kind of fit. Yeah. And eventually I landed on the quiet archer who just kind of hangs in the back and would pop up when needed. Mm -hmm. And like Adam is super like empathetic and the usually the first one up to be talking to the people, which I think is a reflection of his personality. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. You know, and uh, that's, that's kind of whenever people are first starting out and they're like, I don't know. Because normally when you're playing like a video game, the personality of your character doesn't really matter because you have very like limited responses of like what your character can say to people and what they can do. So you don't really think about like what their virtues are as a person or how they act around people. But indeed, do you do? And in fact, that's a really big part of the game. And so when people are kind of, they're not sure how to act or like what this kind of person would be, you know, I, I always recommend starting off and just saying like, okay, if you were, if you took yourself and put yourself into this world and you were like a barbarian, what would you be like? How would you act? Because you're basically just taking like your most natural self and you're just kind of layering on top of it a little fantastical veneer of like, okay, it's me, but I have magic, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that makes it very natural to slip into, you know, cause I, you know, there's people in my Monday game who they make these crazy out there characters that like are nothing like who they are in reality. They're like, it's like they get to the table and like a, they flip a switch immediately and they're this different person. Um, Do you I don't remember think, that? one shot that we played um i think Adam for sarah or yes the first one was sarah the character that i chose for that was a tiefling named fafner and the personality yeah. of fafner mm -hmm. was like the complete very different opposite radically different of ari mm -hmm. and it was so much fun to sit there and play this like bad kind of hot-headed yes yes yeah, kind of rude like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no rude. but it's fun it's very fun like especially when you know because that's you start off with that one character who you are more naturally comfortable with and then you get to move outside your comfort zone and be like okay what what am i comfortable with now you know what, what can i kind of expand to and that's when you start getting into like and it's that's when it's fun because then you're like okay because you have to kind of condition yourself to think like, okay, you're like, okay, it's not what would I do in this situation. It's based on my knowledge of who Ari is or who Fafner is, what would they do in this situation and how would I bring that to life with my voice, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, because your characters end up taking on their own personality and their own mm -hmm. character development that's separate from you. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the coolest parts about being a player is you start off and you create this little extension of you, but then that extension becomes its own entity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and especially when, because there are times where, you know, you know, you, I, I'd be thinking about what my character, my Monday game has gone through and how that's kind of changed him, you know, especially because, you know, I have gotten more comfortable with it and playing this, 
a very young gnome gentleman with sorceress powers of like magical nature. Um, and he's, you know, he's super upbeat. Like he loves talking to people. He's kind of, he's like naive as hell. Like he doesn't really, you know, he has a very uh, rose tinted view of uh, what being an adventurer is. You know, he thinks it's all about like, you know, the glory and like the helping people and like the heroic acts. And he doesn't really realize that it's extremely dangerous. And sometimes it's very like g brutal and people die for no reason. And it could be really sad and depressing and seeing this really kind of naive, like young, happy go lucky character experience, you know, dark and depressing and meaningless things uh is is really interesting to see how that changes him you know does he you know because it could even do radical things where you know you might sit there and be like does this character even want to do this anymore do they even want to be here um and you could even you know that could be good grounds to basically say like okay that character leaves and then like another one comes in you know if you wanted to you know of course you could kind of angle it to where they stay somehow i mean it's you know it's all make believe anyways but <laughs> but no I, I i totally agree with you you know that's that's definitely the fun part and it's it's definitely different for when i'm the dm because uh there's a lot it's there's so much there's so many times where i have to hold back because i build a character and if frankly i have a little bit more leeway with what i can do with these characters just because I'm not necessarily limited in the same way as that, like, oh, this guy has to have this class, or he has to be, like, you know, necessarily, like, this race. You know, you have things that are, like, shape changers. You have, like, people could be vampires. You know, some people are, like, undead. You know, there's a lot of weird and kind of crazy stuff that I could do. And, like, you know, you've met a lot of characters that I've created lore for that is, like, really intense and, and very... I don't want to say interesting, but it's very, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And like you, I've like dropped a couple hints, but like not enough for you guys to really know like what is actually happening. And it's really fun sometimes. Cause then I'm like, man, when I get to drop the dish bombshell on them, it's going to be crazy. Like they're going to, they're going to be like, what? Like, you know, it, oh, it's, yeah, there's been plenty of times where you've left the entire table, just speechless. <laughs> yeah, for, uh, for real what's what's one time you can remember because uh, I, I honestly it gets kind of blurry sometimes just because i'm like always looking at the next thing the next session sometimes i need to take time to look back so what, what was what was one time i left you guys kind of reeling slightly the one that sticks out most to me was when we went to the mayor's house in that mm -hmm. one village and we went upstairs after you had I believe it was Ethan's character who went to open the book. You're just like, I'm just going to blast him with this book. And everyone was like, oh what is going on? Oh my gosh, yeah, he got blasted with, like, necromantic magic. Yeah, he was like, I'm just going to go read this book. And then, bam. And right after that, you know, looked in the mirror, and we were transported into this whole other world. Oh, yeah, was, like an illusory dream realm, yeah. And that is not something that we were expecting. We we're expecting to go up there and rummage through this house, find some stuff, and leave. Yeah, and it turned out to be super magical. Like, and it's that's what's really fun is I, you know, 
And sometimes it's hard to be creative, but when you get those creative juices flowing, that stuff like that can happen where, you know, your players get there and, like, you throw things at them that, like... You know, and I guess it makes sense because you guys do the, the exact same thing to me. You're like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I'll be sitting there and I'm just thinking, like, I never in a million years did I think you would ever attempt to do that. So this is crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, I might create... the other day when you were like... How are you going to get across this rocky terrain? And I'm like, I'm going to do hardcore parkour. Just yeah. bounce around. Yeah, and then you, you like rolled like a 23 or something crazy. And I was like, yeah, you're like, you're doing completely unnecessary flips that are entirely just show off. Like, you're you're like gracefully flitting through all of these rocks. Like, and that's what's really fun, you know. It's the, and that's I remember what I you tried. sitting there looking like dumbfounded you're like this is not how it played out in my head yeah no because it that's how it happens all the time is that you guys do something and i'm like oh gosh because i have to sit there and think for a little bit and like i'll be like okay how do i calculate like what's how what happens now because that's that's most of what my job is as dm is i'm just the referee i'm just kind of the reference for like you guys do something and then i have to reasonably justify how that impacts the world and the situation you're in. And then I'd be like, okay, this happens because of said reasons, you know? And I try my best to have good sound judgment and good reasons for why things happen. Um, even if sometimes they are very horrific <laughs> for you guys. Um, and I always try to be fair, you know, like with the whole thing of your character losing an arm, like I knew the moment that I was going to do that, that I needed to, you know, because one, I knew that uh, you guys were going to destroy that machine, and that was going to allow uh, Sodroth to be able to teleport in uh, and like save you guys. I knew that you were going to be saved. You know, because I knew that more than likely you guys were, if you tried to fight this guy, you would die. So I was like, okay, I'll have like, it'll be an intense fight because you know I don't think you fought anything quite that strong yet. That that that's that deadly. And from you our know. perspective, we were all worried we were going to die. Yeah. Because you knew that you were going to get us out of there, but we're over here you just, did not. yeah, mm-hmm. freaking out. Is this it? Yeah, especially when, like, you, you, he lopped off your arm. You're like, I mean, what do I, I'm, I'm the archer. What do I do? Like, <laughs> we were all this pulling up crazy. our backup characters trying Dude, to and, like, be you know, ready. Cause even, I even saw Adam sweating because he was like, man, I'm, I'm going to have to use, like, literally everything in my arsenal, like, to even maybe make it through this. Like, and that was really fun to watch, you know, because... And I always try to have, like, a good narrative justification for, like... I, I don't like it to be... What's the term? Like, deus ex machina, where it's, like, just, like, oh, this... Like, randomly, this person shows up and saves everybody. Because then that can also be very jarring. And it can lead to a feeling of, like, okay, this kind of doesn't matter. Because the DM can just kind of throw in whatever he wants. There's no um, real sense of there's possible no loss. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. And when it comes to, like, having Sodroth, like, being able to teleport in and help you guys out, you know, uh, I tried to have kind of... I don't know if anybody caught on to it, but when you guys w- were discussing Mount Dimbane in the Directorate's, like, secret sanctum, um, Kelso, the diviner orc lady mentioned that she could not scry inside of the the mountain itself that some magic was preventing her from doing so entirely um 
And the same was uh, said for uh, Sodroth's teleportation, that he could not get you physically into the castle, or into the mountain, rather. Um, and that's why he had to teleport you, like, to the village outside of it. Um, and then when you took down that big, like, crystal machine, you know, that that was that was the reason why they couldn't teleport or scry into there. So the moment you took that down was it, an open opportunity for them to come in and save you. So I tried to justify that as best I could instead of it just being like, oh, the, and then they show up, you know, because then it's like, oh, okay. Because then it also makes you feel like, you know, it also gives you this sense of like the only reason why we got out was because we were smart enough to destroy that machine. You know, that that was kind of the, you know, the one card we had up our sleeve to get us out of there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that stuff happens all the time. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Are, are there any other questions you have for me? What advice would you give to someone who is nervous about starting participating in D&D? If it's just participating, like, just do it. I'm telling you, like, because if you've gotten to the point where you are interested in playing, frankly, you should, you should probably play it at least once because it's going to be a good time. Now, I would say if you're nervous, I would, I would assume most likely that means that maybe you're nervous about, uh, like, what kind of people you're going to be playing with, uh, which is a perfectly valid reason to be nervous um you know because i mean at that point that's just you're meeting new people which is inherently you know you're kind of nervous but not just that you're also pretending to be a fictional person around people which is doubly you know yeah. anxiety inducing yeah especially uh, like my case where i knew you and adam but i didn't know the rest of them so i didn't know how the chemistry at the table would be yeah and that's you know and that's why you know like when you if you meet a group and you're like, you know, I don't, you know, because even my Monday game, like, I met my DM, his name's Chris, at Barbaritos. You know, he worked there at the time. And, like, he had these cool, like, Dungeons and Dragons tattoos. And I was like, oh, that's sick. And, like, he gave me his number. And he was like, yo, we're starting a game soon. Just let me know. All the other people at the table, I had never met any of them before. So the first time that we came in to get that session zero, that was the first time I had ever met any of them. So I was I was pretty nervous, but uh, and it really is. I would just say feel it out. Most of the time, I'd say a lot of these groups are pretty good. Uh, they're usually pretty inclusive, especially if you know. I'll tell you this right now: if you're playing with uh, uh, at least a couple, one or a couple gay people, it's probably gonna be a good experience. I'm just telling you right now because it's just an inclusive table, like. I, there's really nothing that can go wrong. You know, really the only thing I would worry about is like people who, uh, I guess, I guess the term would be gatekeep. You know, they uh, they think that the game should be played a very particular way, and like maybe they judge you if if you're not playing that way. Um, you definitely want to try and get the gist, a vibe from the the group in the table. Uh, and if you feel uncomfortable in any way, uh, then, you know, maybe, maybe you should find another group, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, I'd also you're... add that, would you, what was that? 
I, I had a thought and then it just kind of escaped my mind. Um, Dude, I would also happy. add that you should feel comfortable and you should be able to be friends with these people, not just show up at a table and play this game, but you should also be able to have real life interactions with these people. Oh, 100%. Because, you know, it. You, I mean, they don't even, they don't need necessarily need to be your best friends, but like they should, you know, these should be people that you would be willing to hang out with, like, you know, go get drinks or something with, you know, cause that's the kind of chemistry you're getting for. You're going to be sitting at this table for what, four to however long hours, you know, that's a long time to be sitting with people, you know, and, and who knows how long the campaign will last. Like we're going on a year for ours, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy to think about. Oh my god, oh, what have I, what have I done with my life <laughs> in the best way possible? But uh, yeah, no, I mean, if for if you're nervous for getting into a group, uh, I would say, you know, just kind of give yourself a little buffer and say, okay, let me, let me just visit, you know, play with them or like get started with this campaign. For, you know maybe a couple sessions kind of see whether or not i like these people that i'm playing with whether or not we vibe and if you do or don't you know you know just try not to get too attached to like the campaign because if you're playing a campaign that you like but there are certain people at the table who are ruining it for you for you because maybe they're just an asshole or they're maybe they are uh, uh like they talk over people or they're just rude or they want everyone to play a certain way and it makes it just, they just cause problems and friction, uh, then maybe it's not worth sitting through all of that just because you're not having fun and you're not being immersed. Because um, the, the, the table chemistry is really important for having fun and being immersed, which is basically the whole point of playing the yeah, game. Yeah, definitely. Um, but if you do feel comfortable with those people, like just, just keep at it. Like, you know, you, you'd be surprised the kind of crazy shenanigans you get into over the course of like a couple months to a year you know and it's always really fun and i actually have a question about this for you alexis uh like looking back on everything that you guys have been through up to this point in our narrative like how do you feel about it like looking back on where you kind of started and where you are now i i feel proud yeah yeah like both in my character life and like my personal life because mm -hmm. you know I came to y'all's table super shy and nervous and being in this group that was so inclusive and encouraging really helped me develop my character and also myself oh so yeah I would say proud I'm well Number one, super glad you feel that way because I feel a very similar way, um, you know, and of course, you know, anybody, you know, like somebody who is coming to a table and they're nervous, like you're going to be nervous, you're going to be shy because it's, you know, it's a very different situation to be in, involved in. But especially when you see how comfortable you do get with these friends and, you know, because, you know, one, you are, you are making really good friends when you do this, you know, it's a very... Uh, but like you said, you're right spending word. hours upon yeah. hours of time with the people. Yeah, so I mean, you you got to be having fun to some degree and like like these people, and it's really you know rewarding when you look back and see like 
you know, kind of how the the party dynamic and like how the characters interact have, has changed, uh, and how like the experience that you guys have had together has has changed. You know, and you know, there's always like I said, I'm always learning new stuff, and there's always new things I'm trying to implement. Um, and one of the big things that I really you know, try to cultivate to happen is like, you know, people just giving the players an opportunity to just talk to each other as their characters. Have some banter and get kind because, of, you know, it can be kind of intimidating where you're like, you know, as my character, you know, how much can I fabricate? You know, if if we're talking about like my my backstory as a character. If if a character asks like, okay, where are you from? You could be like, okay, well, me and my DM talked, and like, I'm from this city, and then they're like, okay, what's that city like? And then you're like, oh man, uh, it's a city, um, and you're now having to kind of fabricate what it's like there, you know, especially when like, you know, when when it came to your character Ari about like your dad and your mom and 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 kind of what had happened there and why your mom left, you know, a lot of that stuff, like, is something you had to come up with. Um, and sometimes you don't really want to, I guess, get into it with other characters just because you don't want to mess up, like, what the... Because this is how I feel in my Monday campaign. I don't want to fabricate something about my character that contradicts something the DM has put into their world. Does that make sense? Yeah. You don't want to stray um, too far from... The narrative that's kind of been set but mm-hmm. not set yeah and 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 also like you're like oh i don't want to like create this whole you know like if we're if i'm just goofing off with like my friend and we talk about some i don't know heist that we held in the past you know that just fabricate something you know i don't because because then you're like okay now does my dm have to make that event you know am i making their job harder further for them and i want to just tell you right now uh even if you are making the job harder for them like please do it like just do it because when you're because everyone likes to think that the dm is the main person who like they they create everything and the players are literally just reactionary you know they just react to whatever the dm throws at them Uh, it's a very fascinating social concept when you think about it that you know, that's automatically you fall into this idea that the DM is like the end all be all of the game, mm-hmm. even though in reality the players have all of this rule. Yeah, and you know, of course, I would say the players have more control over everything than the DM does, because at the end of the day, the DM really is just a referee of like the players make a decision, and the DM translates what that means and what that looks like for the world you know they're very at least they should be a very impartial (laughs) force to be reckoned with uh because the dm is technically a player as well you know they're still playing the game they're just playing a different role um but i love it when my players when you guys like have banter and like you come up with stuff you know like when when uh osmar and uh cliff when their characters you know, we're like making banter and they talked about like a, like how they snuck in and like stole something from like a heist sometime, you know, like it doesn't really matter exactly what happened in that heist other than the fact that like it was funny. It was entertaining at the moment, you know, it's kind of a Marvel 
MCU kind of like quip in the moment that they don't they like they never talk about again. You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, especially when like. You know, I don't know. Like one of my favorite things to do in my Monday campaign is ask the other players, like ask their characters about like their backstory and like what they think about things, because there there's really interesting stuff to be had there, as well as like it could just be really funny. You know, when like you know one of the other players is doing something and the DM is explaining to them what's happening. And like me and my boy John are sitting here and we're talking in character and we're like, oh man, this guy, he's, he's, he's an idiot. I mean, look at him. Like, why is he, he's not, he's going to fail, you know? And they, we're talking about back and forth and we're talking like mad shit. We're like, yeah, we should place bets. Like, <laughs> you know, he's, I, I got this guy, you know, that's, that's always fun, you know? Cause then it also helps ground your character. Cause there are times where I look at John after having so much like dialogue as our characters with each other that I, I look at his face and I instantly associate it with the image of what his character looks like in my head. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because he's playing a, he's playing a Loxodon, which is a, an elephant humanoid, like a, like a elephant person. Uh, and he, and he's like a paladin. So he has this like really heavy armor and he's a big shield and a flail. You know, he's, he's this big, like kind of holy knight. And, like, I look at him in real life, and, like, that, that image immediately flashes in my head. I instantly associate it with Gil, because that's his character, and that's wild to me. <laughs> I, I've, like, been trained like a Pavlov dog to, <laughs> to, like, associate that in my brain. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's so cool to think about just how huge this D&D world is. And to think mm -hmm. that it started from 14 pages all those yeah. years ago. Oh yeah, you know, especially like, you know, and especially all the freedom it allows you cuz like, you know, it is very intimidating when you're looking at like the player's handbook and like the monster manual and stuff and you see like, oh, there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages like there's so many rules to this game. Like how do you, you know, I mean, that, that, and that's that's for a lot of people who are intimidated by becoming a DM, right? They're like, "Oh my god, like how do you keep up with everything right the answer is you don't you, you don't keep up with everything you just jump it. in because i can't tell you like i don't keep up with every goddamn rule i don't there's too many <laughs> don't don't worry about that <laughs> keep up with like the big ones you know like yeah. you know make sure you know how to run combat like basic combat know how that works in and out you know know initiative order know things like you know oh, oh like layer actions are on initiative 20 understand uh you know if you have two creatures that roll the same uh maybe looking at like their dexterity modifier to determine who wins out on that and who goes first um things like that you know it, it's basics of combat definitely know and like things like movement you know having like players to move around on the little table and uh you know maybe having like a flanking rule which you've started doing recently um Knowing those basic things and knowing, like, you know, how to set DCs, you know, there's all kinds of helpful, like, I downloaded a big PDF of, like, really helpful rules and stuff in, like, a, it's kind of like a big cheat sheet that I printed off and I put in a binder, and it has all kinds of, like, miscellaneous rules for, like, uh, how fast a party can travel during a day, and, like, if they're traveling stealthily, they travel slower, and how far they get, it could be, like, 
I don't, that's a bad example. I hardly use that one, but it could be like, you know, conditions like, you know, oh, what is what does it mean to be uh, grappled versus restrained? How are those different? Or like, yeah. okay, what exactly does being blind mean? You know, because it sounds stupid, right? You're like, oh, well, blind means you can't fucking see, obviously, you know, but there's a lot more that goes into being blinded because there's like really specific situations where it's like, okay, well, this spell doesn't necessarily say that I have to see the creature. It just it just means that I have to know their location, which means that I still could technically do it. There's a lot of technicality. Um, and there's a lot of times where, like, you know, I'll just I'll rule something in the moment because I'll be like, I don't know. You know, it might be like, you know, okay, well, I'm doing this, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, like, underwater combat off the top of my head, so, like, I don't know, just roll to hit, I don't know, advantage or whatever. It I, I doesn't matter, you know. I, you don't have to know everything. Uh, of course, and a lot of times, you know, because I don't know all the rules in, the, in, like, the back of my head, you know, I, it's, it really is, like, a case-by-case -case basis where you get into a situation and the question kind of naturally arises because you're like okay well i'm technically like drowning or suffocating so how long can i hold my breath and so you have to look up the ruling for you know how long a character can hold their breath and that's like based off their constitution modifiers equal to like so and so minutes of breath i, I don't know it's it's really you know, a learn as you go process i feel it like. is a learn as you go process because you know like the main thing you need to worry about, like, I would say, if you're wanting to DM, uh, don't worry about reading every single word. I would probably say, like, a good thing to do, if you really wanted to, is to take the, uh, both the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide and reading through just, like, once, once each, just so you, it's, like, a little fresh on your mind, like, maybe a couple months beforehand. And then... I would say focus primarily, like keep in mind the three pillars because that's the bulk of what you're doing and knowing the associated rules for those three pillars is literally 90% plus of what the game is, you know, so that's mostly combat, like know most of the basic rules of combat, I wouldn't say most, know all of the basic rules of combat, <laughs> uh, know how that works, you know. Uh, and then I would say understand, like, the social aspect, you know, like, in terms of, and a lot of this is going to be skill checks, you know, if they're trying to uh, persuade somebody or if they're trying to deceive somebody. That can be kind of a, a gray area as well because you have to determine, you know, under what circumstances would this person you know how how far can you push a persuasion right can you persuade somebody that you know if they jump off of this cliff they will miraculously survive you know like if it's like hundreds of feet deep if can you if you roll like a 20 can you still convince them that they'll live you know in a lot of cases like i would argue no because it just it it doesn't make any sense for them to believe that for it to, for them to essentially forgo like physics to believe this person um or like if oh uh if you tell somebody if you deceive somebody give them a lie that is just completely bonkers if you say like oh i don't know if you come into the king's castle 
and they're like, hey, we'll arrest you, and then you deceive them and you say, you know, oh, I'm actually the king, that's an imposter, and you roll like a 20, you know, it, in my opinion, I would still say that doesn't work, just because, one, it would break the game, and two, it it literally wouldn't make sense. So, a lot of that is just going to be whether or not a DC for something works. And then uh, there's the exploration, which is even, that's all, that's still more uh, skill checks, but anyway, you just memorize what rules are for those, and then everything else is going to kind of come down the pipeline, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. as, as things happen. Um, so yeah, yeah, just, just diving into it. That's what I did. And look at me now, you know, so I, and, and also like, if you dive in as a DM and you know, your players kind of berate you and they say that you're not doing a good job, like maybe you shouldn't play with them anymore because being a DM is, is, you know, especially when you're first getting into it, like that's a big, that's a big commitment you know, and, and and just like as a player, feeling like you're included and accepted, I feel like it's important for the DM to also feel the same way. It's like a mutual respect thing. So if you're not feeling it, I wouldn't, you know, keep yourself in that situation. Yeah, no, you know, I would look for another group at that point because yeah. the the vibe is very important for D and D. You know, if you're in a group and you are uncomfortable even though you're really attached to the character in the story i would say if you can like just save the character and use it for another campaign with different people you know like that's that's really exactly. how that goes but you know i mean i i really i could go on literally forever about how much i love this game like i love making characters you know there are literally parts of the like times of the day where i'll be sitting there and like I'll have some inspiration. I'm like, oh, that would be that would be a sick, sick character. And like I get home and I build them up real quick. And I know Adam does the same thing. It's something you love. It's it becomes part of your life. And yeah, that's one of absolutely. the most beautiful things about it. Absolutely, man. Especially when like it's because for me, and I feel like there's a lot of people. I have ADHD, so this is I don't know if this is the way it is for other people with ADHD, but I have a lot of creative energy that's just all pent up like you know i'm not an artist i don't make music you know i don't really do a whole lot of stuff to like be super creative and so having an outlet for being as creative as i can possibly imagine is so like cathartic and and amazing honestly definitely because i can just, i can just sit here i mean like i said like i made that whole world and i was like oh man like I was focusing on every little detail. I was like creating the history of like a whole planet and like everything in it. And like, it, it's, it's a lot and you get lost in it so easily, but it's so much fun. I really appreciate you talking to me and being on here about this. It's been, it's been a really fun experience. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm always down to come on here and talk because like I said, I, I could literally talk forever about this game because this game has swallowed my life. Uh, I have, I'm insane at this point. I'm completely belligerent. <laughs> I have lost my mind. We should um, definitely come back and, you know, dive some more into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You Let me know. And uh, next time I'll come with some questions of my own. I have a little list. Yeah, that sounds great.
Um, so thank y'all for listening. Uh, I really don't know how to sign this off. I don't either, but I guess, uh, you know, thank you all for your time, for your patience, uh, for bothering to listen to this point. If you are still listening, um, how? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, but I hope we, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you maybe learned a few things and, uh, Maybe next time we'll get into some more nitty gritty stuff. Yeah, uh, keep it keep it geeky, y'all. Keep it geeky. That is the that this is the geek guild. That's what we do here. So thank you very much. I love all of you. Have a good night. Get some good sleep. Drink your water. Take your medicine. And uh, I'll see you after school tomorrow. How about that? Sleep well. Sleep well.